and you're very welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, where today's episodes will be talking about mobile editing and how to win at YouTube as a photographer. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. How are you, Spoonie? Jeez, I'm not as energetic as you are anyway this evening. What did you do? Swallow a Duracell battery or something? I drank five cans of Monster Green Energy. Not sponsored by Monster. Will be sponsored by Monster if you want to be. (laughs) I tell a lie, I tell a lie. I had one can. (laughs) One can, okay, yeah. Maybe you need to get some shares in them so you can increase your input and output. But you know what, it actually, it's my morning coffee, as I like to say. It is a very, very sweet and addictive, not addictive. It is addictive. It can be addictive taste, but I do like it. I don't go overboard in it, but I, you know, I have my one can of maybe every second day, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'd love to see what it's doing to your insides. Anyway, other than that, oh, yeah. No, 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 okay, okay. Before we, before, I know you want to watch Billy Murphy and the Young Offenders, right? And Just for Bernard's sake, I push yeah. this podcast tonight, but I'm not going to leave you. How many cups of coffee do you drink a day? Here's the strange thing. Monday to Friday, I drink very little unless I'm on the road, but at the weekend, I'll drink lots. Okay, so, so... I wonder what all your coffee is doing to your insides. Well, at least I know it's coffee and it comes from a natural plant. Is it a bean or a plant? It's, a bean comes from a plant. Okay. <laughs> no, go, let's go into the specifics of what comes from your can of monster. How many E's are in it? How much sugar is in it? How many unknown things are in it? How many artificial sweeteners are in it and colourings? What's what good for you that's in it? Gives me energy. Yeah, fake energy. It's the fall after that you come down. It's like a sugar high and a sugar crash. Crash and burn. Yeah. Stay off the monster. <clears throat> yes, Dad. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Anyway, so let's jump on to our topics topics today. So what we want to talk about is mobile editing. And Darren, you and I are big proponents of Adobe Lightroom, yes? Yes. And we use what's called Lightroom Classic, which I think has changed names again. And I, I, I don't even want to know what its official name is right now, but it's the one you use on your desktop. That's, it's the most popular issue of Lightroom, yeah? Yeah, so as opposed to Lightroom CC. Yes. So do you like that style of editing? It's like, could you see yourself using that all the time? Now, before... Whoa, 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 whoa. Do not go off on a rant about how much it costs and all that shite. Just tell me to like using it, right? I wasn't. But I was going to... I wasn't. I wasn't. But I was going to go off on a rant in that, if you recall, in a number of episodes ago, I said, for some reason, I went down to Lightroom CC and I opened it up and I saw pictures from my phone. And I was like, what the hell are they doing there? Immediately, I went back onto Classic because that's where I want all my photos that I'm going to edit. So Lightroom CC... I can see it has its merits, but just from a photography point of view, I take most of my photos on my, inverted commas, big camera. And I want to be able to edit those and keep that separate as opposed to taking photographs that I would take out in a boat when I'm on my phone. So it can be quite intrusive. Yeah. All right. So, so do you think you'd ever, 
uh, me, I never used it until... Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so, would you think you'd ever like to use it? I tried to use it, and I found editing on the phone. I didn't have an iPad to edit on, so I'm sure that would make a okay. big difference. I was trying to edit on the phone and the real estate for my fingers to be able to do stuff, I found it quite small and cumbersome. Whereas on an iPad, it's a bigger screen. So I imagine it probably would be a better user inf- interface on an iPad. But as far as the phone would go, no, no, not for me. And I have the iPhone 8 Plus, so it's the bigger versions of them. And even yeah. on that it was difficult to do. So I can imagine somebody trying to do it on an iPhone 4, if they still use them, or an iPhone 5. That screen is tiny in comparison to what you have on the, Correct. even the iPhone X and the iPhone whatever number now. Yeah. They've got a bigger screen, but I still would find it tight to be able to manoeuvre, I suppose, around the interface and be able to see the quality of what you're getting as well. I found it difficult even with the zooming in on the image and then Did moving you? around on the image, yeah. I suppose, like, you'd need your fingers to kind of, two fingers together to kind of drag, touch and drag with you, or is it to one? Well, I would imagine that it would be, you know, you squeeze or pinch and pull or whatever to make it bigger and smaller, and then you just move it around with either one hand or two fingers, but I could never get to grips with it. But saying that, when I did try it, I found it quite interesting, because when you use Lightroom on your mobile and you take a photograph with your iPhone, you can actually edit what it classes as a raw file. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it, it it has very big merits and there's a lot of things going for it. But as of regards of even up to last week, I would have been like, You're wasting your time, throw it in a bin. Why would any human being actually use this piece of crap? Yeah. But then I had an epiphany. Okay. Did right? it hurt? Yeah, it did. It actually did hurt. Were you drinking a monster at the time? Go on anyway. <laughs> the reason why it hurt, because I lost my iPad in Oslo Airport. That's how it hurt. It's awful right? sad. It's awful sad, awful sad, awful sad. Awful sad. All you want is a simple sell it. Awful sad, awful <laughs> sad, awful sad. Anyway, so that's gone bye-bye. And the rest of my flight home was so long and tedious because I had nothing to keep me entertained. Because some... Guy in Oslo has my iPad now, probably. So, when I returned home, I was feeling sad. And when I was in Norway with my crew, Andrew Keating had the iPad Pro. Okay. And he, showed me about, he was showing me all about it, and he was showing me how he uses Lightroom on it. And I said, and she's that's very interesting. And I was like, Jesus, it looks far much better on the iPad, iPad Pro. And this is a 12.9-inch screen. Okay. So I was like, Jesus, I'd, I'd love one of them someday, right? Lo and behold, I lost my goddamn iPad. So I went on to adverts. I sold a few bits and bobs at home. Uh, so I had a few pounds there. And I said, okay, let's go see if we can find something. I probably won't buy one. But look, I'll have a look in a gander. So lo and behold, found one in Limerick, literally just 20 minutes down the road. Second hand. Now, it's the first gen iPad Pro, but it's really, really good still. Right, so I got it for three hundred and fifty euros, which is quite a bargain. That's a very good price, though I have to say. Yeah, so I didn't mind paying that amount of money. So you actually crossed so, off four reasons there for gas in that whole statement. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't digress. So anyway, <laughs> what what's gas? What's this thing you talk about? Anyway, um, so. Brought it home and I started downloading my apps that I would have had my other iPad, so Netflix, YouTube, and all those kind of things that 
you associate with your iPad. And then I was like, okay, let's download Photoshop and Lightroom for the crack. Right. So then I started playing at Lightroom and I started going, this is quite good. I'm editing with RAW files here on my iPad Pro and there's no lag whatsoever. And these are full-fledged RAW files. And you can use the healing tool, you can use absolutely everything. And I'll go through a few things I'm now in a few minutes. And it kind of got me thinking, could I really push Lightroom Classic to the side and edit a full wedding on my iPad Pro? Shoot a whole wedding and edit a whole wedding on it on the iPad Pro. How do you get the images from your camera to the iPad? Okay, I haven't figured that part out yet. And I <laughs> come on the podcast. But we'll get there. I'm sure that you can just download the Canon Connect app and then you can yeah. connect onto your EOS R, one of the two that you have, gas, and be able to get the files transferred on, over via Wi-Fi because that's what I can do even on my Canon yeah. 6D. I can connect and download the actual RAW file to my phone. So right. you're sorted okay. there. Now, I do know Andrew had a cable that was going into his lighting connector with an SD card reader on it. So that's obviously another way as well. I would reckon so. Yeah, you can do that too. Right, so you're going to go shoot an entire wedding. Yeah. And, and I'm going to not go near your computer. Thing. Not going near my computer. I'm going to edit the whole thing on the iPad Pro. I mean, like, call every image, uh, select what I want, color codes, like I always do, star rate, everything, and then use my filters to edit my images, use presets if I need them, and edit and export to somewhere. I've no idea where I'm going to export it to yet, but I am going to vow here right now on the Irish Photography Podcast that I am, dear and Donovan, going to do this wedding on the iPad Pro only. And I pinky promise, look, I'm giving you a pinky promise, right? No, okay, a virtual one, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Do you think I can do it? I think, of course, you can do it. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like if you, as Henry Ford once said, you can, if you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And I think, you know, that's the important thing is that you're going to make it work because you're going to want to make it work. But is it going to be straightforward? I don't think so. Is it going to be frustrating? Yes, even if it's not, because you're going to be doing things differently. But one thing, yeah. how are you going to manage your damn? Digital asset management. I have quite a large uh, iPad Pro, so I think I got the 128 gig model. So... With your That's not big, you'd have that filled in no time. Yeah, but there is cloud storage with Lightroom CC. So I at standard, you get 20 gigs of data storage. Okay. So with Lightroom CC, when you download the RAWs to your least CC, it goes to the cloud rather than the unit itself. So it's got in the cloud. So I can edit those files anywhere, which I can edit from my desktop, iPad Pro, my phone, anything that's connected to the Lightroom kind of ecosystem. So I could be like in traffic editing my images. In the passenger something. seat, of course. That's what I just said. Yeah. And do you know, I could be on a train. I could be on a bus. I could be sitting on the beach. I could, not, not this weather, but you <laughs> get the idea. Say, Are you going to kill me <laughs> at the weekend just so you could do it? <laughs> are you going to vlog it? <laughs> I'm using it here. It's lovely and warm. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get the idea. You can be absolutely anywhere. So hence why it's called Lightroom kind of mobile. I, I think but I think the idea will be very, very good. I think you'll be able to do the editing and you will get into the editing and you'll find a good flow and a speed and everything else that you normally would have because you're so used to using Lightroom on your computer that it's not going to be that far different. I imagine the buttons are going to be in the same place. You'll have the big screen. You probably will do a better job of it as well because you'll be looking at it directly in front of you. And it's like as if you have... a uh, um, a wand. You've got the Apple Pencil as well, I presume, yeah? I haven't got that yet, but I'm going to see if I can pick one up second hand because <coughs> they are quite expensive. Oh, they're 160 euro or something, is it? Something like that. I think For the a first pencil, like. Ones. Yeah, yeah. But, but you can get uh, spurious ones, like, you know. Uh, can like you? The Logitech one. Oh, they call orange pencils. <laughs> oh, I'd love an orange one. <laughs> there's your, oh, there's your business, but you can build a business and make it as a competitor to Apple and just call it orange. If I got an orange pencil, wow, wow, <laughs> oh, I so want one. Straight away now after this, you'll be straight on Google, typing in Amazon. Oh yeah, yeah. big time. Orange, Apple, get the, Google get totally confused. Anyhow, listen, how are you going to do it afterwards, I think is where you're going to get the challenge. Because you're going to be able to edit and everything's going to be perfectly fine. But as you say there, right, think about it in reality. If you're going out to shoot a wedding and you're using a 32 gig card, you're using two 32 gig cards. So I know that you're taking less images now, as we said in the previous podcast. But let's just yeah. say that you had whatever, say 15 gig of images after a wedding, right? You're going to upload those. Yeah, well, whatever. Like, you're going to upload those. You're going to utilize your 20 gig that you have as the online storage. But yeah. this is where I think it gets interesting because from an editing point of view, you're absolutely right. You'll be strictly correct. But from a digital asset management, you won't be able to use that. But the beauty is that when you have it as the cloud, when you go back to your own computer, everything will be there. And then you can have that as your digital asset management on your computer. Correct. Yeah. You just got to pick your poison, really, don't you? You do, but you got to find an orange apple pen now. Yeah. So, look, I'm going to talk through kind of a few bullet points that I've wrote down. So, uh, just for our listeners, rather than just me talk about what I'm going to do, I'd like my listeners or our listeners to maybe branch out and kind of test the field with Lightroom CC. So, who should use Lightroom CC? So, this really is an easy one. Everyone should be taking advantage of Lightroom CC. Beginners, amateurs, pros, like everyone really should even just give it a try. You'll never know. It might be something that you can take advantage of. And like, it's not really that expensive. You you have it on your, your subscription already, but Lightroom, so jump in, get it. So there's eight benefits of getting Lightroom CC. Like there's the cloud storage, like we talked about. Who, who, so like, hang on, who wrote these eight benefits? Adobe? No, did it not? Okay. So one of the benefits would be the cloud storage, right? You get 20 gigs of it on the basic model, but you can actually get up to one terabyte of online storage. But I don't know what the price is. It. I have been flat out for the last three days, so I couldn't exactly get the full uh, official prices for you. So whether, like, again, beginner... Better off, sure you know I'd probably fight you about the prices. Uh, yeah, it's probably better. That's why you yeah, went. That's why right. you didn't bother going that step. You went, I'm sad time. not getting that money. I'm not letting myself for a firing line again. So it has your raw editing like we discussed already as well. Number two. So whether you're shooting JPEG or raw, TIFF files, whatever, it, it will convert it, or sorry, it'll download the image onto the iPad Pro and you can edit them. 
Happy days. Uh, you can sync your presets and profiles. So you, if you have uh, you know, presets from, let's just say, B-Art or Visco or wherever, you can download those presets onto your mobile editing and you can use them also. Okay. Just like you can with Lightroom Classic. You have your healing brushes, just like Lightroom Classic. So, and I actually enjoyed using the healing brush on Andrew's iPad Pro. Uh, it was really, really cool and very easy. And you can adjust the brush, everything just like you can. And there's a different feeling to using your fingers as the healing brush rather than the mouse, the clicking in the mouse. That uh, yeah, don't knock it till you don't knock it till you try it. You know, it's yeah. actually really, really cool. Five, you still have your selective adjustments. Do you know, like um, your graduated filters, radial filters, all those things. So being able to dodge and burn a photo with your fingertip is like being being a kid again it's like painting with your fingers it's so much fun and uh, more intuitive than using a mouse just like I kind of explained there a minute ago like so and then you have the the, the Apple Pencil so and you can get other similar styluses also you also have Sensei Search so this is an impressive feature that has huge absolutely huge potential as it's an artificial intelligence feature the more it learns the better it gets so the more you use it and the more things that you start using, that it starts kind of knowing your editing styles and it kind of helps you out a bit more. So it gives you the ability to search through your catalog of photos using keywords, even if you're never keyworded any your images. If you're lazy with keywording like I am, like being able to find photographs in seconds that are hidden away in an enormous catalog is a real time saver. So use it to your advantage. Geometry. The ability to straighten horizons and warp buildings with one tap of a finger can be really useful. The auto geometry features are particularly useful. One tap, Lightroom guesses what should be straight and usually gets it spot on. So you don't have to do it anymore. You just press the button and it'll do it for you automatically. So, hang on, but, is that a feature that's in standard classic Lightroom? No. Ordinary, basic, no. whatever no. you want to call it. So is that in Lightroom CC on your desktop? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I haven't opened it on desktop. I've only used <laughs> true, actually, yeah. But I mean, look. Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting feature. But I'm sure it'll be available if not already available on classic. Mm. But it's not on classic, so yeah, well, never know. Oh, I, I've issues next... now again. Now here we are. Now more issues I'll have with Adobe. You're paying a subscription charge, and they're not oh, giving Jesus, you the full whack. They want you to go onto their service, which is not controlled <laughs> by your own speed of your own computer. And the problem that you have here, and like you're, what, what are you on there? Number eight, is it? I'm going at number eight now. Yeah. All right. Well, before you get to, to, when you're finished, when you're finished, I'll give you five minutes there. Go on. Before you, sip, before go you get, get onto number there. eight, I mean, where's the list of the disadvantages to it? Because you're not going to have the same speed. So you said that you know you were able to use it, and it was very quick when you were using Andrew's iPad because yeah, he had the SD card connected straight into his iPad. He wasn't dealing with over the air, and over the air is a disadvantage because you're at the speed of the internet connection. So. Yeah, true. you want me to pay you for a service which I'm not using in the first place but on top of that you're going to put a, something into that service which I've no interest in because it's going to be so slow and you're not going to give it to me in what I'm paying full price for for a classic product Adobe don't come off the stage me. man like do you know what I mean cop onto yourselves like don't give out to me I'm not I feel like you're giving I out to Adobe, me I said Adobe since that is your name Adobe <laughs> oh hang on it's D-O-D ah okay not yeah, Adobe yeah, yeah. okay Anyway, you okay? I'm done now, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel better? No, still that's annoying me now again once more. 
<laughs> All right, so at number eight, you have advanced web galleries. So using the paid version of Lightroom CC, you can create a shareable web What, the other one? Hang on a second. The other one's oh, available Jesus in the free Christ. version, is it? Oh, my God. The other one's available in the free version. My good God. I just got it, man. This is I ridiculous. just got just, it. Go on, sorry, go on, sorry, go on. You can <laughs> using the paid version, yeah, go on. You can create a shareable web gallery of your chosen photos in Lightroom in just seconds, so it's much easier than the gallery feature in the Lightroom Classic CC. When you share a gallery link, viewer, viewers can comment on your photos. The best bit of all is these comments appear back in Lightroom on all their devices. You can even reply to comments directly from Lightroom. So it's almost like a social media network, which I would have no interest in using, to be totally honest, I have zero interest in using that. Imagine that you see all these comments when you're looking at your images and you're editing them. Yeah, you can disable it, though, so it's fine. <sighs> I mean, like, come off the stage. You want to get in to do an edit, you just want to have no distractions. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. So, overall, you're about to have a hairy canary there, you know, so, but I'm sorry I picked this topic tonight. No, not at all. <laughs> Look, I think it's a very... <laughs> not at all. I think it's a very good topic and I think it's a very good challenge for you to do. And I'd be very interested to see what results you will get from it and it'd be great to kind of hear your thoughts and how the experience was. I mean, look, you're probably going to have a different feeling about the images as well because, as you said, when you were using Andrews, you know, you using your finger, you were like a kid, you were dodging and burning. That's like playing around and, you yeah. know, you're, you're painting with your fingers, but you're getting tactile feedback there. So you're touching something which you wouldn't normally do. And I think you'll probably enjoy that experience a bit more. Um, and you probably might enjoy it more even you start messing around with some of the images that you'd like from a landscape point of view. Because I know with the wedding, you know, you, you don't have a kind of a emotional connection to the image. It's it's work and it's somebody's, yeah. you know, event, let's just say. But um, when are you going to start this? When are you going to do this? So I have a wedding on... Oh, jeez, it's Saturday. So I'm going to shoot Saturday. and But I've two or three weddings to edit before I get to this. So I'll report back after Christmas on okay. my findings. Okay. That gives me ample amount of time because I have the grotto coming up also as well. So. You, you, should, you should time it. I should. Absolutely. I agree. And you should compare and it to the time that it takes you to do it on your Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. But you obviously shouldn't and time the first time that you do it because you'll be like, where's that button? No, where's this button? No, what does this hang on a second? I have to go onto YouTube and figure out how do I work that? Yeah. Do you know what? It's like everything. Four the first kind of later. iteration of everything is um, it's always that bit harder because you're kind of getting in tune with the yeah, whole absolutely. system and what it is. But it'll be an interesting challenge to do. I think, uh, I think it could do well at this. I think so. And I think it'd be interesting as well, even for the listeners to give feedback, you know, do they use Lightroom Classic? Do they use Lightroom Mobile? What's their experience been? And, you know, is somebody willing to kind of join in the challenge and do a wedding with, with that? Yeah. Or not even a wedding, even if you did a landscape, maybe a few images, we went out and uh, maybe try a bit of mobile editing, just to kind of buck the trend and see what happens. Tickle your, uh, Tickle your fancy, well, you, know? you know who bucks the trend on a lot of things, which is Kieran, Kieran O'Mahony. And he's done an awful lot of his image editing on his iPad. Has he? Yeah. Mm, I need to give him a call anyway because uh, I need to get my images submitted for the... Oh, that's a secret. Can't say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say no more. Yeah. And, but but like, do you know what? Here's a question for you, right? Do you know when you're yeah. in, in Lightroom and you've got an image and you say, okay, hang on a second, the spot removal tool doesn't work for this. I want to bring it into Photoshop. Yeah. What do you do there? You hold down your finger and a little thing will pop up and saying, open in Photoshop. Don't know. Open as layer. 
I don't know. I have Photoshop and iPad as well, so maybe it does. Maybe. That could be interesting. I mean, look, if it's the same as user, user experience between the, the desktop and the mobile, then, yeah, it should do it. But that'd be interesting to see, well, too. Now that now you say, like, you like to use the spot removal tool in Photoshop, but I find Lightroom very, very good, and I can use it very, very well, the, the spot removal tool. Like, some people are shocked at what I can remove in, in Lightroom with the spot removal tool. Uh, it just, it takes a bit of getting used to and a bit of learning how to use it to its full advantage. So it is quite good already. But it, it is very, very good already, but there are certain things that it can't do. And that's when I bring it into Photoshop. And in the past, I would have used the yeah. clone stamp and I kind of figured, hang on, there must be an easier way here. So, you know, Peter McKinnon, yeah. fair play to him. Uh, edit what's up what's up here's a new tip for you um, edit he was stalking me in Norway would you believe that I know I told you this he was he was actually outside my hut looking in my window going Dermot Dermot where are you man I was like get away Peter get away man what are you doing I'll call the cops to you truth be known that if you did actually know he was there at the time the cops would have been called to you lies pure utter Lies. Mm, but anyhow, so if you go into Photoshop with that, you just got um, use the magic wand, do a circle around what you don't want to get rid of, and use edit content to wear. Bang, it's gone. And there's no mess in relation to it. And 99.99% of the time it gets it right. So instead of getting really, really good and be amazed what you can do with that spot removal tool, just go bang, circle, gone. Bada bing, bada bush, bada boom. Nice my wand yeah exactly um, that's but all so I know in let's Photoshop. name out say again let's name out just a few other apps that you could use on a mobile editing so you have pixel matter haven't used it uh, snapseed is all a very very good one and that's made by Google 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 so a lot of people use that and it's uh, quite fun to use you have visco which we talked about a few months back uh-huh. you've prisma never even heard of it Fa- and facetune Right, so they're just some of the mobile editing apps that you can use. I don't want to get into them now because Lightroom CC is what we're really concentrating on tonight. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are in the Facebook group or even on Instagram. Uh, tag us, do whatever you need to do, and share us your thoughts on the Facebook group. We would love to hear more. And Kieran Mahoney, please let us know how you are getting on with your iPads. Lightroom apps. Alright, so guys, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back after a word from a sponsor. Are you sick of AA batteries? An ongoing cost? Constantly having to change them? Well, the Modus 360RT and 600RT speedlights are the ones for you. Available for Canon, Nikon, Sony and Fujifilm. It's got an extreme lithium-ion battery with a 1.5 second recycle time. That's four times faster than AA batteries. 600 shots at full power, 1,000 at a half. Available now at Hainal.ie. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. I'm still here with Mr. Jedi. How are you, buddy? You still there? Great. You're back alive again there. You start to fade towards the end of the first part, but you just had a big supper. You're a monster. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Back in the game. Back in yeah, the game. all sugared up. Sugared <laughs> up now. Sugared up. Go on, go on. <laughs> you know what? You got me down, you see, with all your feckin' moodiness. <laughs> there was no moodiness. This is fact. Like I say, why would they do it? But anyhow, go on. Let's move on. Let's talk about a really, really interesting topic. I'm right. delighted here that you brought this one up because yeah. I can't wait what you're going to teach me. I'm not going to teach you anything. I'm a little novice at this whole uh, scene. So, look, we, we we kind of 
let cat out of the bag and start the episode like we always do. So basically what we want to talk about is how to win a YouTube as a photographer. Now, like I said, I'm still in my infancy days of this whole YouTube thing. You're kind of nearly get nearly a veteran. You're kind of get you're in your sophomore season, right? So you're getting there bit by bit and you're doing quite well. Now, you are tell me where you're at on a YouTube scale. I am at 1,300 subscribers. I'm on 80,000 video views and I'm wow. on 3,800 viewing hours in the last 365 days with 128 videos uploaded. So you're flying it so? I wouldn't say I'm flying it. I have a shitload of content. I get very little views in the bigger scheme of things in the amount of videos that I get up there. I have had a couple of videos that have done well. It's interesting when I look at the content that has done well on YouTube. But overall, yeah, okay, you could say I'm flying it that I'm on 80,000 views with 1,300 subscribers. But no, I mean, look, even like I said, looking at my videos there, I actually mentioned in a recent one that my videos would get between three and 400 views at the very beginning and then it might continue to grow slowly after that. Yeah. I had, my YouTube channel had a major shit because all of a sudden I started to get 125 views and then it took a while to recover and starting to recover again. I didn't do anything, I don't think differently other than put out a video which is from last year when I was on my trip to the US and I think that must have goosed something because I was on a mm. flyer. So I haven't got a clue in reality as to why some videos would do very, very well and why other videos wouldn't do well. And it's something that I'd like to learn more about because, you know, they're looking at views on YouTube. Forget about what your content is for a moment. It's the thumbnail and the, the the title that will grab somebody to be able to get their view, to get them to watch you in the first place. Yeah. So that's a whole different ball game. Then again, you know. So tell me more about <clears throat> getting money from YouTube. How am I going to make money? Like, as like, think of it this way. So, what's her name? The Spice Girl one. Oh God, Posh Spice. So basically, like everyone knows who she is. Everyone. <laughs> And she started a YouTube channel and I seen this online that she was getting, I think she's 125,000 subscribers on her YouTube channel and she's only making 28 euros a month from YouTube. So in the grand scheme of things, I'd love to know how anyone makes money from YouTube. So what gets me over the threshold to say, okay, we're going to start paying you now. And what's the process? Well, okay, first and foremost, anyway, with Posh Spice, I mean, I'm not surprised, you know, if people don't really want to watch her. Like, I mean, she's not exactly known for a riveting personality. She's not really going to keep people entertained, I don't think. Um, but anyway, maybe she would. Maybe those people who subscribed to her just subscribed to her because they thought she would be good. Yeah. But nobody was watching the videos. The threshold for YouTube to be able to make money is, they changed it actually a couple of years ago. And I always kind of felt, you know, it reminded me personally of something that when I was growing up, you know, I always wanted to drive, I always wanted to have a car, right? So the moment I turned 17, I went off and I got my provisional license. Yeah. 
And then I went to looking buying a car and I went, okay, I need this much money. Okay, I have to save up for that. And then when I said, how much insurance going to cost me? And all of a sudden I realized that insurance was gone through the roof. But I had to have been 19 to get a cheaper insurance price. I was 18. So I went, okay, I turned 19, it changed to 21. I turned 21, it changed to 23. And I was like, man, man, I'm never going to reach this level where I can get fair insurance, right? Yeah. It reminded me of that because when I first started off my YouTube channel, at the very beginning, you needed 10,000 views to be able to monetize your account. Okay. And I hit 10,000 views after four months or something like that. And I was like, okay, man, I'm sorted here. Now I'm going to be cleaning up, you know? Like <laughs> apparently what you get is anything from $3 to $5 per thousand views. Okay. So I was like, all right, okay, I'm not going to be cleaning up, but at least I get something coming through. Yeah, you know? yeah. it'll crazy. give you a sense of And it'll build and it... Yeah, it'll build and it'll grow and everything else. And that happened in, I think it was January that I hit the number of the 10,000. And then I looked online and it says, yeah, you're all ready to go. You'll just receive an email. I'm like, okay, grand job. Happy days. No email. No email. I couldn't find an email to be able to contact YouTube, by the way. There was nothing that I could find. Um, and I searched everywhere for it. There was no email that I could actually reach out and say, hey, what's going on? So I just waited and waited and waited. And eventually then I got an email through which was changed to terms of service. And the change of terms of service is exactly the terms of service that they have right now. So they moved oh. it away from the 10,000 views to a model which I looked at at the time and went, I'm never going to reach that man. Never in wildest dreams. I've got 10,000 views right now. I mean, that's no good. Yeah. Like in the bigger scheme of it, because now I needed to have 1,000 subscribers. I had 220, 220 subscribers at the time, or something along those those lines. Mm -hmm. And now the goalpost was moved from that, which I thought I'd qualified, up to 1,000 subscribers. And then, like I had said a second ago, about the amount of hours viewing, you need 4,000 hours viewing in the last 365 days. Yeah. So... The idea, which I think is clever, is that, you know, instead of paying everybody for making absolutely crap content, it pays, pe pays people for making consistently okay content. And it shows that people want to watch that, which means that they've got an audience that they play their ads to, as opposed to an audience that isn't going to be playing the ads to it, which means it has no relevance. So if you, for example, had created a video in... I don't know, let's just say 2005 or whenever YouTube started. I'm not quite sure whenever YouTube started, but let's say you created a video back then. By now, it probably had 10 million views because there was no such, there was little on the platform. And then obviously, organically, it grew. It was built into the algorithm. So people were getting paid money for a video that they made 15 years ago. Yeah. So by changing the rules, it forced them to be able to not have to pay up money, like I say, for crap content, but for people that were making current content and wanted to be creating on a regular basis, adding value to the platform and encouraging people to come back for new content on a regular basis. So you couldn't just make a video and then live off that for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It, like you said, they kept on moving the goalposts and you would actually, almost go far to be say, I was cheated. Sure, like I said, yeah, I was completely, because it was like back in my car insurance days. Again, I'm like, man, come off the stage, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You just get there, like, and then they move it further on. And like I said, it seemed to me like an insurmountable task. 
but you know what? I kind of said I'm I'm not doing it for that reason anyway because like I said originally I did it starting off just to play around and have fun with, with the lads yeah. and you guys. And then I said, you know what? No, let's put something together on this. But I do it for the kids more so, so they can, like I said, they can see where I've gone. But ultimately, it would be nice if I got a nice bit of moolah coming into it. And you can, you have to have mega views to be able to make any some bit of moolah from it. Um, yeah. And, you know, from the amount of views that are there, uh, you might get, once a month, you might get a, not a check, but a deposit into your account of two euro. Yeah, that's, it's not very pleasing, is it? No, but I mean, if you're doing it for the money, forget about it. But if you're doing it because you enjoy creating content, then absolutely. But the bigger scheme of it is that, you know, you can get, like I said, in certain some of my videos, like I made a video at that time when I got the early access to the 70 to 200 uh, Sport 2.8. And that's still continuing to grow. I think that's on 12,000 views at the moment. Wow. Very good. That's fantastic. You know? So. What I've learned from it, from a photography point of view, and you know, I know the topic here is to how to make it as a photographer on YouTube, and I haven't made it as a photographer on YouTube, and I don't think I ever will. But if you want to, and you, this is something you know which is really close to your heart, is you've enough of it there. Just make videos about gear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So what got me thinking about this was simply because I saw an article on Petapixel. You know. Okay. what you can do and it featured a lot of people who we've even had on the podcast so it's got some articles about Gavin Hardcastle Adam Gibbs uh, what's that really famous guy Demise sunglasses and he looks sick all the time if he takes him off uh, Casey Neistat that's it <laughs> do you ever see him without his sunglasses man he actually looks sick <laughs> Hang on a second here. No, he's a very good example to show how to make money oh, yeah. from YouTube. Absolutely. Like, he's raking it in. Didn't you tell me that he's making, like, like a million from YouTube a year or something? Or, I don't know, something crazy. I just very small, quick story, I suppose. Most people may know of Casey Neistat, but if you don't, Casey Neistat's a guy who lives in the US and he's a filmmaker in his heart and soul. Himself and his brother created a program called The Neistat Brothers. It was picked up by HBO. It went mainstream they got something like 1.2 million for making it and they thought they were in the big time that was there then he ended up starting up making a video because he got a ticket for not riding his bike in bike lanes in <laughs> new york so he out of principle made a video of how difficult it was to ride his bike in bike lanes in new york because the amount of people that would park in the bike lanes the amount of roadworks that were going on the bike lanes so he would drive the bike as if they weren't there and crash into every single one of them and one okay. of the things that he crashed into was the police car and then you know that kind of brought him to the mainstream and then bang everybody was knowing who Casey Neistat and a lot of people knew who he was beforehand but that's where he started off from YouTube and he then started to document and in fairness to him I mean his work rate is something I've never seen before in my life to it's be honest insane. with you um, but he started taking YouTube to a whole new level in regards to daily vlogging so he was vlogging his entire day getting up at four o'clock in the morning, starting his day early. He's actually shown what he does in his day and his work rate's incredible. I don't know how the guy... So he, yeah, of course he looks sick because he's constantly not sleeping, let's just say, but he would vlog. And I think he did that for nearly two years of daily vlogging. And what he was vlogging was the story behind a business that he was growing called Bebo... Or not Bebo. Not Bebo. Beam, sorry, Beam. B-E-M-E. -E. And it was at the time, along the same way I thought of Bebo, 
Bebo's because it was around the same time as in regards yeah, to those. You. And he started vlogging how that was progressing. People started watching how that was. He was growing and growing and growing. He hit 500,000 subscribers, a million subscribers, and straight away to 5 million subscribers almost in the blink of an eye. Um, I think he's on something like 12 million subscribers now. But once he was there at, I think, 6 or 7 million subscribers, the owner of CNA, CNN was looking for a new way to be able to get the local, and not local, but the up-to-date news from people, from people who were hot in topic and stuff like that. And his son said, Dad, if you want to get the next news platform, this is what you got to watch. Look at this guy. Looked at Casey Neistat, went, OK, look at this. This is interesting. Approached him. They did a deal and he sold Beam to them for a reported $23 million. Oh my God. That's amazing. But here's the other part that within nine months, CNN had Beam shut down and he got to keep his $23 million. Nice. That's brilliant. Good for him though. I'm quite happy. That's a good yeah. success story. And you don't hear him too Absolutely. Often. You know, and I mean, look, you know, look, there's a lot more to it than that, that quick, quick synopsis that I've given there. But yeah, in fairness, Casey Neistat is one guy. I don't think that we should be saying that's going to be you tomorrow because yeah. he was very good at a time. But at the same point, there's a couple of other guys and spin-offs in regards to from him that have appeared in his channel. And then all of a sudden you go, bang, these guys are very interesting themselves. And you've mentioned one earlier, which is Peter McKinnon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Peter McKinnon, I think from a YouTube point of view, has done an exceptional job of not only curating content for his channel, but also curating an audience which is loyal and an audience which will listen to what he has to say. And every time that he does a video, bang, he's getting views, views, views. He releases something, it's all over social media. But now he's after moving it to the next level. Yeah. That's the guy that was stuck in my hut, I think, in Norway, yeah? Um, what do you mean you think? Yeah, yeah, that was the guy. Um, <laughs> but like, if you think about it, a lot of people aren't in the mindset for vlogging. Do you know, some some people would think you're narcissistic, like, you know, that you're talking to your camera, hey, everyone look at me, look how cool I am. But in my eyes, I like to share my world, my experience with everyone that wants us to watch it, who wants to be engaged with what I do. Don't get me wrong, it's far from perfect. And sometimes I ramble on with the most stupid stuff, like, you know, for absolutely no reason. But I think that also the film side, filmmaking side of things, that it's it gives us a platform to kind of evolve as photographers. So, like rather than just being static all the time, kind of taking our pictures, it makes you think more about the photography because you're vlogging. So you have to go look, like Gary Goff said, you have to come home with five, six, seven images to be uh, when you are vlogging. Whereas if you went out in photography and you had a, a, a shit day, you come home, you don't need to post it. But if you've made a video and you've went to all that effort to make the video, then you're, you, you have, you're putting pressure on yourself to make sure that you get a photograph. You know, you work harder for it. Do you know what I mean? I 100% agree with you, but you know, the risk at that is, it ain't easy. No. Like, from recording video is a whole different ball game. And, you know, okay, Mass Peter Everson actually said something interesting a few years back in a, in a Facebook group where people were talking about becoming YouTubers and how would they become a YouTuber. And he made a statement, which is a very good statement. It said, learn how to take photos first. Yeah. 
Yeah. And people gave out to him about it and they could think he was a being, being a bit elitist. And so, but he wasn't, he was being dead right. He said, learn to take the photos first because you have to be comfortable with that part of it before you start introducing the secondary part, which is from the video point of view. And you're right because it does force you, from a f- landscape photography point of view anyway, to, it does force you to have to find images and, you know, be creative and, you know, you're going into a place and you're going to record some B-roll of you going in there. You've gone to a lot of effort already of before you even reach your destination and all of a sudden you could spend all this time doing all these, don't forget if you're doing landscape vlogs and you're recording walking in scenes, you're all effectively walking another third of the distance. Yeah, yeah. You're walking <laughs> in, you're walking back, you're collecting your camera and you're going again. you got to do everything twice, like... And you're kind of, if you're racing against light or you're racing against time and you want to get to a perfect location, you could miss that shot because of what you're trying to film. Yeah, yeah. You always run that risk, really, don't you? You do, but you know what? At the same point, it's fun and it's, you know, I was thinking about the topic a couple of weeks back, actually, um, about, you know, if I'm going out taking photos, does it affect my images? And I have I, when I was going out before, before I was recording video, was I actually getting better images then? than I am right now, or was I, I'm after losing a bit of my ability, let's just say, to be able to take good images. And then I was thinking, not necessarily, because when I'm going out to do my vlog, I'm actually recording video as I go. It's forcing me to take further images, but I'm actually getting out more rather than me not going out at all. And I'm actually having to think strategically from when I arrive there that I'm shooting for the edit and I'm filming for the edit. So I think that side of it is very interesting. And, you know, it can degrade from the images. A lot of people can, it's, it's a it's a lot to juggle, you know. You can lose concentration in taking your photo. And there's certain things that I've learned, anyway, from a landscape point of view, is that I'll record my parts walking in. Okay, fair enough. But if I'm doing anything to camera, I already have the shot in the bag. Okay. I am not going to record something to camera on the off chance that I can't get a shot. So that's something that I've learned. In effect, I kind of do it backwards, you know what I mean? So I'll take the photograph and then I'll talk through and say, and this is what I'm going to do. But I already have the shot taken. You're a spoofer. (laughs) Well, no, I'm actually being secure because you've got... You're right. But you're, yeah, but I mean, look, you know, that's the beauty of filmmaking. Like, you know what I mean? Everything's don't yeah. always happen in sequence, but you tell a story. And that's the bo- most important part is that if I can try and tell a story around the image that I'm taking, I think it's a far more compelling thing than just a static image. And, you know, when we had Nick Page on, he mentioned about when he's taking his photos, he's actually more interested in YouTube because he's got a wider audience in YouTube and he can monetize his channel on YouTube. So it's better for him to make better video rather than better images. Whereas it's better for other people to make better images rather than better video. But think of it this way, right? Also, right? So a lot of creators say that, you know, YouTube is a long game, you know? So with more videos being uploaded in a day than anyone could ever have hoped to watch even in a lifetime, right? you're going to need to start dropping really quality stuff to kind of get on the benchmark. Like, so you and I were little minnows in this game, right? I have, geez, like, I don't have the same passion that you would have for vlogging and YouTube. And I enjoy it and I leave it at that. And if I want to put out content, I put it out. I don't put pressure on myself in any way, shape or form, right? But like myself and Bernard have talked about it in Norway saying, you know, that you have such a great discipline to do it on a weekly basis. I, I don't have the brain power to do it, Darren. I really don't. But do you think 
that if you're uploading weekly, does that not degrade your quality, but do you feel like you're just putting up, churning out an episode just for the sake of it? Or maybe one in four would be a banger and maybe the other three would be not so great. Or could it be three could be a banger and one not so great? Are they all great? I don't know. What do you think? What was the question? <laughs> you answered it louder than there for me already. Uh, no, look, the reality is I put up a video once a week. I'm not out once a week and I try and maximise the time that I, you know it, you've seen it when yeah. we go taking photos. I'll try and maximise the time that I'm out when I am out, get an opportunity to go take photos. And, you know, I'll break it into different shoots or different segments. And each of those is something that I'm documenting as I go along, I'm trying to tell a story, but you know what? I think I've actually gotten a lot better at telling the story than before when I first started out making the videos. Saying that though, am I just releasing content for the sake of releasing content? Well, okay, are people taking pictures just for the sake of taking pictures? You know, you've had something in the past where you wouldn't go out taking, you wouldn't take a camera out of the bag unless it was epic conditions. Mm-hmm. Right, so you might go take photos, but you come home with nothing. Whereas if I go out, I, I've got videos which I haven't released because something might have gone wrong, or I didn't like this, or I didn't like that. But at the same point, I can still tell a story, be it good or bad. Because guess what? This is landscape photography. It ain't all roses. It ain't all beautiful, shiny colors every time you go out. The weather is the weather, and that's the reality. And if you know, if you pick and choose something, then is that fakery in reality? Oh, every time I go out, I get amazing conditions. Well, you know what? Yeah. No, all I show you is what I get, which is amazing conditions. And it's like everything else. You know, you look at people that are very successful and you go, how did they get successful? Well, they got successful from the 10 years of relentless work that they did in the background to yeah. get in that position. But you see it in that one snapshot. So I think from my point of view anyway, which is all I can speak on really, I can't speak for anybody else's, I think it makes me better. It, it it actually fulfills a need that I had because like I said, I got bored going out taking photos, standing around waiting for the light. You get to a place, you're an hour and a half there, you're, sat, you're standing there, you're freezing cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just it. said, you know, I'll just do something here, like, you know. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. So let's think about how we can encourage some of our listeners to maybe take up vlogging try it just see how you get on you don't have to post it but jesus give it a go see if you like it see if it sparks something inside you say hold on a second i actually really really like this so if you were just starting out darren what would we do to kind of start this whole youtube journey start with your phone phone yeah and just practice and just just get comfortable and that's you don't even need to necessarily talk you know, people can make videos there, which is vlogging, and they're just showing what they're seeing. Yeah, you're right. And that was my whole idea about relaunching my YouTube channel. Remember I said to you, it's going to be a speechless uh, vlog, where I just just go through the motions, but then I couldn't help myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you know what, right? There's something that I've learned now, and it's another level, and you mentioned it there, which, which I think is interesting. Um you know, one of the greats, and we'll have him on the podcast hopefully soon, uh, from a vlogging point of view and landscape vlogs, is Thomas Tomaheaton, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he, I've just been watching his video. I don't think I've missed one of his videos, to be honest with you, because he always comes up with something different in how he produces the video. But one thing that he has done really, really well in the last, probably a year ago now since he got it, is an additional mic that he has, which is capturing sounds. 
and it's capturing ambient sounds. Yeah. And he had a video there last week, I think it was nearly three and a half or four minutes or five minutes, in fact, into the video before he even said anything. Yeah, myself and Brian were watching it, actually, yeah. Yeah, yet you'd still watch it and you'd go, man, I, you, you get all those sounds yourself, but there's nothing being said. And that's, I think, an immersive experience. And that's when you can be brought along. So, you know, he, he could have the voice of an angel or the voice of a pig, it would make no difference right there because he's just told the, the story with the sounds that you and I hear. And I think that's where it makes him different. And I think that's another level. And I've thought about that because I struggled with audio, as hopefully you know, most listeners would know. Yeah. And, you know, I started to get better and just make sure I do checks, like I said. But yeah. on top of that, I want to try and bring it to the next level. And when you start thinking, like, example, I've got a video out or will be out by the time this goes. Uh, mm. It will be out actually by the time this goes, which was shooting in the rain. So I went out to take photos in Mullenhassock Falls and I said, okay, I was done on one part of it, which was the upper path. And I said, I wanted to go down to the most traditional area. But lo and behold, typical weather, what did it start to do? It started to piss rain. But I had my hall pass. So I said, okay, I'm out. Sure, look, I've always said there's no such thing as bad conditions. You know what? This would be an interesting one. So that made me think of the content that I wanted to record there, which was, you know, you can't go taking photos in the rain. That's what was going through my head as I was recording this, right? Yeah. So what I did was I got my Zoom and I placed it down next to a puddle. Yeah. And I recorded the sound of the water hitting the puddle. That was really cool, actually. I remember listening to it. Yeah. It was very good. So the kind of an immersive experience in regards to it. So I think that's what I like about it. It kind of brings you up another uh, another level again. Do you know what I mean? But like somebody starting out, just use your phone. And yeah. get, get comfortable looking at yourself on camera. Yeah. Because most people don't like to look at themselves on camera. And most people don't like the sound of their own voice either. Yeah. Especially us, because like, we sound produce yours. podcasts, like, you know, we, 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 we hate ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, you, do, you don't even need a second camera. Like, some people do have second cameras. Like, you have a Canon G7X, you have a GoPro, you have a DJI Small Pocket. You know, you have a plethora of cameras. I also have a few bits and bobs there. The king of gas, you know, I would want to, right? But like you said, all you need is a phone. Get into the kind of emotion of recording with your phone, see if you can do it. If you wanted to go from there, then you can get external microphones and so on and so forth. The, the world is really is your oyster. So other things that you could help you along is a thing called TubeBuddy. And Darren, you introduced me to this and just give me a brief outline of what TubeBuddy is and what how it can help a photographer on YouTube, of course. It's your buddy for YouTube. I thought you are my buddy for YouTube. Well, yeah, originally I was, but I got sick of telling you everything. So I was just, here you go, go off and find it yourself. <laughs> but no, that tube buddy is actually very interesting. If you have a YouTube... <laughs> fucking joked. So, are you back with us? Yeah, you okay yeah, there, yeah? yeah? I thought I'd die there for a second. Like, it wasn't that funny, like. But anyway, um, so stop drinking though, because again, I said another thing. Like, you were spinning all over the microphone okay, again. Okay, okay, go for it. So YouTube from a platform is geared around the viewer and its back end wasn't really that good. Whereas TubeBuddy would give you instant analytics and give you good feedback in regards to how your videos were performing. But moreover, you could start using SEO to try and get your video seen more in this all-elusive YouTube algorithm. So YouTube is a search platform. I mean, it's the second biggest 
website in the world now, I think it is, number number two behind number one, which is Google. So it'll soon overtake because people are getting lazier and lazier and they don't want to read anymore, they want to watch. So it'll become a viewing platform and moreover, you know, YouTube are creating YouTube originals now or whatever they're calling it. So they're trying to create it as your platform that you will go to for your media content. So there's a, a huge amount of stuff that's going on there in the background. There's a huge amount of searches and what you TubeBuddy gives you is an insight into what people are searching for, what's relevant in regards to your video and what tags you should add in or what things you should do to get your video noticed by this elusive um, algorithm. Brilliant. I'm delighted you brought up tags because that's on my list here as well. What is a tag and why can it uh, encourage people to look at my video more? Okay, well, a tag derives from originally with a hashtag and a hashtag would have started out on Twitter and then it became quite powerful because people could search for a hashtag and they get everything that was associated with that one thing. So if you wanted your content to be topical or whatever, you'd say, okay, hashtag Canon G7X Mark II. Bang, yeah. somebody typed in that, you'd be included in that. Most people would know that anyyway. But for those you don't, there's a quick, brief history. Yeah. Facebook decided to take the idea of tags. Uh, Instagram obviously has tags and YouTube will also have tags. So very similar to like from a Twitter point of view, you can take a hashtag and all of a sudden your content is bundled underneath that hashtag. Brilliant. So SEOs, what is SEOs for YouTube and can we utilize it on YouTube? Similar to what you'd have on Google. So SEO means search engine optimization. So you're optimizing your content for the search engine, which is of YouTube. So absolutely you can by using keywords in your description, keywords in your title and obviously tags as well. Build it and they will come. But here's an interesting one for you is that I read, well, watched actually, um, about trying to understand the algorithm that if you've got a video called, you know, Dermid's new headphones, right? Wow, amazing. 20,000 million followers already. I can feel well, it in during, bones. During that video, make sure that you say Dermid's new headphones at least 20 times. Weird. Do you want to know why? Go for it. Because YouTube can automatically add captions to your video. So when you upload your video, it decodes everything and takes out the audio. So you can turn on subtitles, which means it's getting a transcript of what's being said in your video. And they use that to ensure that the, the, the title, the description and the tags actually match the content that's in the video. Oh, wow. So if Bernard made a video, all his tags would be, um, um. <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. Sorry, yeah. Bernard. Hashtag true story. <laughs> you know you love us. <laughs> so tell me about thumbnails, Darren, and very briefly, because I know you want to watch Young Offenders. We've one more segment to go through as well. So, thumbnails. Okay, thumbnails are basically, like I said originally, that it is, that's the hook. That's what people see your content on. That's the only visual aspect that somebody can see of your video at a glance, at an instant. I really cannot be one to talk about thumbnails. I think actually I, I reached out to Gavin during the week there because I wanted a bit of advice in regards to one of the thumbnails, actually for that same video that I did photographing in the rain. Yeah. And I wasn't overly happy with it and I didn't think it was attention grabbing. And I think Gavin's th thumbnails are attention grabbing. So I wanted his feedback on it. But a thumbnail should give an insight for the potential viewer to want to click. Mm. Effectively, all intents and purposes, click bait. And that's why they use the again, the, the breakdown of the subtitles to make sure that the content matches what it's being called and also what it says on the thumbnail. So yeah. you could create a thumbnail and saying, click here for $1 million. Yeah. 
<clears throat> pure clickbait. You know what I mean? So a thumbnail basically is something that will grab the potential viewer's attention and gives an insight into what the video can portray. Yeah. Sure, even I was on Facebook the other day and this guy posted a link to his video, Canon ESR Mark II, because of a firmware update in small little writings at the bottom where you couldn't really see it. And I felt like <laughs> punching him in the face. And I, 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 I typed underneath the video because it, it got me riled up. I wouldn't even waste my time opening the link, buddy. And he said, why not? I was like, because it's pure clickbait. And everyone liked my comment. Everyone. Mm. So, you know, I just, I, did, I didn't like it. You know, so you got to be careful with your thumbnails. Uh, look, give uh, an honest description of what you're trying to portray in your videos. And I think it'll do, you can you can do no wrong. Because if you, I think if you have one clickbait thing like that, I think it'll ruin you if you have any aspirations for YouTube. And I think you'll get more of a backlash than you would, uh, than you think, you know? Yeah, and look, I think your, your your topic originally was as a photographer making it on YouTube. I think it's actually difficult to make it on YouTube as a photographer because you're in a very niche market. You're in a very niche comparison to the amount of people that are uploading videos and looking at content that's there. But if you really want to make money on, on YouTube, go make videos for young kindergarten kids. Yeah, that my, they can my learn. daughter watches them all the time, man. That Jesus. they can learn. And that thing is just going to be on repeat, man, repeat, repeat, repeat. But again, to go back, like I said originally, YouTube were wise to this. So unless you are constantly releasing content, that video, which has 126 million views, will not continue to earn you money. Yeah. Okay. I get you. All right. So have you any last thoughts on this topic, Darren? Uh, I just one final thought, really, is that when's your next one out? When's your next episode? When's I your next episode? I don't know. When's your next episode? When's your next episode? Well, I have a lot of content to get through from Norway, so we exactly. That's what I'm more. That's what I'm more alluding to. <laughs> I want to figure out exactly. You know, like I hope you put in the video, like you know, Darren. This is what you could have won, yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't even started yet, Darren. To be totally honest, and I will. I'll get down to it sooner or later. And I am doing a vlog tomorrow. I'm meeting up with Dave Kai Piper to give me a spin off the new Panasonic S1. So I'll be doing. Uh, a video on that I'm going to meet him at the Claire Gens tomorrow so that'll be coming ah, out maybe after Greg Christmas will be, so. Greg will be interested in that I'd say from a video yeah, yeah. point of view so it'll be interesting to see what I can get from that camera and I've never touched it before in my life and it'll be interesting so thanks a million Dave I'm really looking forward to that now tomorrow is your Atomos going to work with it? no I, I don't bring the Atomos outside really so uh, it's only for mm. inside really but I should bring it out a bit more but not close to water in here yeah all right, and if so it's guys, a screen, you might leave it behind you. <laughs> oh, it's okay, you can, use, you can use reason 6, 9, yeah. 14 and 22 to get another one. You, that cut deep, man. You hurt my feelings there now. <laughs> True story. <laughs> All right, sorry guys. Stay tuned. We have one more segment to go and we'll be right back after this break. Today's episode is sponsored by BG Landscape Tours. Bernard leads photo tours and workshops north as far as Lofoten Islands, Senje, Faroe Islands, Iceland, Scotland, and as far south to the Italian Dolomites, Tenerife, Namibia, and Botswana, and not forgetting our own beautiful homeland of Ireland. Find out more at www.bglandscapetours.ie.
and welcome back to the Irish Drug Free Podcast. And we have a new segment called Hot or Not. Oh, hot, 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 hot. Hot, 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 hot. So, Darren, are you hot? Always. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> <laughs> so what is hot or not so basically this is a new segment that we're going to try and do every once in a while and basically is we could select absolutely anything something in the news we could say whether it's hot or not whether it's worth talking about or not whether it's a flop or not uh, it could be an item that has been released to market whether it's hot or not it could be absolutely anything so what i have and it's been out a while a few weeks and it's something that kind of grabbed my attention and i tickle my fancy should I get one or not but it is the GoPro Max 8 is that it GoPro 8 Max I don't know what it's called but yeah that's what it is Darren have you even heard about this item I'm sure you have I have yes absolutely and I'd have zero interest in having one okay so look let's tell our listeners who don't know what it is okay so the Hero 8 Black sends its Big next level HyperZoom 2.0 video stabilization dramatically improved over the HyperSmooth. So the HyperSmooth works in all resolutions and frame rates and features a new boost mode and has an in-app horizon leveling. Also new Time Warp 2.0 features automatic rate and adjustment and tap control speed ramping. The Hero 8 Black sports four digital lenses to easily select a field of view and improved audio and enhanced wind suppression. Customizable mode preset and a lighter frame as design featuring a folding mount mounting fingers so it's a, it's basically two cameras in one and it's just going giving you a 360 degrees view of absolutely everything so darren you have the insta 360 and would uh, before we get to the max is this something that you kind of use a lot or is it something that was just a novelty used it for a month and then just throw it in the corner and forget about it Kind of yes and no. Um, the Insta 361 X was something that I said, you know what, this looks interesting. I wanted to try it. It definitely gives you a different view from a video point of view. I used it when I was out on that boat that time, and I think it was quite interesting the angles that I got, and I would have been able to get those angles from an ordinary camera. But have I used it that often? No. Why? Not because it's gimmicky, but not because, but more because there wasn't an opportunity to use it in something that I thought it would warrant it being used in. Okay. And I think that's where, you know, the videos that you see that look, GoPro, I mean, look, I've got a GoPro Hero 7 Black and now they come up with the Hero 8 and now they've come up with the Hero 8 Max Duo plus plus 26Xs and whatever they want to call it. But, you know, they're very, very good when they look at their videos that they release in the pre-release videos to they're show how great these things are. Oh really, my really God. Good. When I you saw know, it, Darren, I sent it to you and I went, oh my God, look at this thing. It's just, it blew me away now, Darren. It really did. It does. It does, you know. And look, it can give you a whole different look and feel. And, you know, they were very selective on the videos that they've done. But I remember watching a video when I first got my Hero 7 Black and I was looking at this hyper smooth and I'm doing inverted commas here at my fingers in the air for the listeners because you know it was so much better than it was in the Hero 5 which was so much better than it was in the Hero 6 and oh now the Hero 7 and now the Hero 8 and I'm like you know what lads it ain't as good as you say it is and it's in optimum conditions and optimum light that it gives you that and I was before I even looked at it I went yeah okay that's good marketing here but in reality how many people are going to be in those conditions and get the usage you know like on an ATV going across whatever they were going across and bang you're getting all these mad mad angles 
brilliant, absolutely, but I don't think you'd ever get the video quality out of it. But it does shoot 5.6K at 30 frames a second. That's My, really mm, impressive. It's not, it doesn't shoot 5.6K. That's the thing. Like my Insta One, Insta 360 One X shoots at 5.7K. So it's 0.1 better than that uh, GoPro, but it doesn't shoot at that because it shoots at such a wide angle. Okay. Because it has to get 180 degrees in regards to it, but it's actually not as good as that in reality. So when you start taking out certain scenes that you want to look at, it ain't even up to 4K quality. And it's very similar with the GoPro Max. Okay, so it shoots 2.7K at 60 frames a second. Is it something okay. similar? That's going to be even degraded further. Okay. Mm, interesting. That's uh, food for thought. So this is slowly hot, but then getting to not. So I don't know. I don't know. Why are you interested in it? I mean, look, the box is black, so it's not really shiny. I was interested. I won't won't lie. It did kind of tickle my fancy. It was something that I kind of, should I, should I not? Um, How much is it? It it is coming in at, uh, bear with me, $499. So convert, it's probably going to be the same, about 500 euros here. Yeah, no. For the use that you would get out of it. Wait, wait, wait. It's got voice control so I can can annoy you on the podcast just as much as you annoy me with your one. No, that's okay. I just annoy you better when you're trying to vlog and I start... I annoy you better. Did you just say... Oh my God. (laughs) I'm going to send you back to school to learn English. I I say more better. better. No, I didn't say more better. I said I can annoy you better. (laughs) All right, okay. Or maybe I did say more better. Either which way, I can annoy you more and better. (laughs) By using the walkie-talkies instead of the voice control. And you know what? I turned off the voice control on my Hero 7 as well because it didn't work more so when you wanted it to. And if you remember, in the early episodes of the podcast, you might mention GoPro and you hear, beep, 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 beep. Oh, Jesus Christ. So I had to turn that off. Uh, This new one, right, the GoPro, it's got what's called a power panel. And I've seen a few videos on YouTube about it and it does look quite good. So it's panel without the pan. Basically, it takes an incredible 270 degrees distortion-free panoramic photos without having to scan the horizon. So you're getting perfect for capturing action shots and epic selfies. So it, it's quite kind of cool, really, to be honest with you. Mm, very good. So that is one kind of thing. So is it hot or is it not? Darren Spoonley, your, vo- your vote. Frozen. <laughs> You gotta choose hot or not. So it's not. frozen. Not. Ah, oh, okay. I'm going to say it's hot. I like the idea of it. I do like the idea of it. So Yeah, so if you take the mixture to it or it's kinda of lukewarm. So we'll leave it at that. Some some uh, some week we might hit uh boiling hot water together, you never know. We could be freezing in there in Antarctic together so you never know so lads I hope you enjoyed this segment of the podcast and I hope you enjoyed tonight's podcast I thought it was a really interesting one to kind of give us a deep dive into the whole process of YouTube and maybe how you could kind of get by as being a photographer on YouTube and it's going to be really really hard but I think it's the rewards are great just because it makes you feel better about yourself about vlogging and the more you do it the more comfortable you'll get with it and also mobile editing is absolutely fantastic so far to date and hopefully dear it I can do a whole wedding on it and uh, Darren you might download it and see if what you have you got an iPad actually no all right okay maybe if but you actually you know what I, I was I was suffering from a bit of gas there during the week 
What? Really? Yeah, because Apple have released a new update for the desktop and now you can use the iPad as an additional screen or you can use it as a trackpad with your Apple Pen so you actually can draw <gasps> so it can become like the Wyocom or whatever the thing is. Wacom. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, so can I, you say I, what you said there again? Wyocom. <laughs> Wyocom. Whatever, like, I mean, you, you got what I meant, and I'm sure the listeners yeah, yeah. did too. Do you want to really yeah. talk about butchering names? No. Come on. No, 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 no. All right, Come so, on. guys, you know what I mean? we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to join the Facebook group, please do just mention the name of the host. Darren, our Jedi, will do. Thank you very much to the latest guy that actually put in Jedi. That was quite cool. That was very nice funny, yeah. That was very and, uh, yeah, join the Instagram page. You can follow us on the Irish Photography Podcast, and do tag us. We like to share as many photographs as we can. And, uh, yeah, that's our last word, buddy. Yeah, listen, man, good topics there. Thanks for hosting this evening. Good luck editing it tonight. We want as many ass as we normally do. So from me and Cork, schlange voll. Ayo. Hey, guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week. And remember... Keep shooting.